God, I just pray that what you're doing in my heart right now, that you would reciprocate that in everyone right now. That you truly would just wreck us. That right here, right now, the only thing that matters to you is dwelling in us and being glorified in us. To love us, to fill ourselves with your power and your presence and your love right in this moment. Father, you can heal any disease and any sickness in this place. But we trust you that you are good and sovereign in it all. And we trust you, God. You've never, never, never let us down. You are faithful. And your character is love and faithfulness forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you stay standing, actually, in honor of God's word? We're just going to jump right on into 1 John. It will be on the screen. I'd like for you to participate with me. Um, when, I, when I get up and speak, I'm not just performing to you and just reciting something to you. I want it to be something that we're uh, participating in and learning and growing together because that's the body of Christ. Amen? Are you there? Amen? Amen. Thank you. Just asking. All right. So the text that's highlighted in yellow, you will join me, okay? Loud and clear. So I'll read the text in the white, and then you join in on the yellow. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Beloved. That's you and me. Do you know that you're beloved? Anyone who understands that you have been loved and forgiven is called beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You guys are awesome. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right there, propitiation is all he's doing is he's taking our shame, our guilt, and the punishment, the wrath of God that all of us deserve. He's taking it on himself and bearing that and turning it into righteousness. That's propitiation. For our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides. Mm. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Take that in. Whew. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Why, this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. What's it? Let's do that again. Ready? There is no fear in love. We're going to do it one more time. And, oh, wait, 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 wait. And what I want is those of you who have struggled with fear, I want you just to say it a little louder than the others and recognize and speak with your mouth and proclaim that this love, there is no fear. Ready? There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been, whoever fears, whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him Amen. God, teach us right now. Still our hearts. Destroy every distraction. And I pray that real life change would happen. Real life change would take place in this very hour. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In wrapping up this six-week series called Plan A, and I, I hope that you've been able to join us for all six weeks uh, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Jacob have taken uh, two sermons each as well. Uh, I started it off, and I uh, get the honor to wrap it up. Um, but if you weren't able to to make one of one of these, uh, I, I really encourage you to download the Elevation Community Church app or go to YouTube and and watch it live stream. Um, each sermon is so pertinent to you and I and us as a church of what we're called to do, as we just read. And this passage in 1 John, it gets to the jugular right away in addressing the question, why? Why? So some of you may be even asking, why are we even taking six weeks to do this series called Planet? Why is loving others as Christ loved us really that important? Some of you are like, what? Someone would ask that? Yeah, I do sometimes. Because if we really, really believed it, we would be living it out way more, wouldn't we? Why is it so important? And really, can you, get this, listen, can you be a Christian? Can you really be a Christian and not really do the love others as God loves us thing? Do you know what First John 4 says that we just read? says, if you love others, not some, if you love all people, you show people that you've been born of God. So as Christians and Christ followers, we have to be very careful of proclaiming that we're a Christian when we don't have an ounce of love coming out of us. 
But what we have is condemnation and judgment and religion in the name of God, right? And so this last part of the series is wrapping this up in a wonderful little bow, but it's not as comfortable as a bow on a present would be at Christmas time. It's uncomfortable. It's messy. It's broken. But had we not been messy and broken, Jesus wouldn't have come. And let's just be honest. Can I speak for you for a minute? This loving others as God loves us, it's a fantastic idea. I mean, it's great. Let's talk about it. Teach it, Pastor Phil. Come on, we're going to amen you the whole way. Put it on the welcome card and put it on signage all around. We get it. We need to love others. Let's put it on the marquee. Maybe someone will get the, the hint that we're all about loving others. Let's put it on Facebook. But if we don't get this one thing, we could go all year in teaching through First John, and it never make an ounce of difference. Because here is the kicker. In order for the nature of God, what's the nature of God? Well, he has tons of different characteristics, but he is defined by love. By love. His very nature is love. For God so loved. It didn't say, for God so judged. Now, he's just. Don't get me wrong. And there will be judgment and justice for sin. But right now, he is very patient and slow to anger with us. Because he is love. So for that very nature, follow me, for that very nature of God to be in our nature, our DNA, something has to shift. For God's nature, His divine nature, to meet our nature and become a part of our DNA to where we're walking, breathing, followers, temples of God. Something has to happen, and that something is a spiritual heart transplant. You cannot have the very divine nature of God in you without a heart transplant. Sounds like a salvation message to me. That God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ so that we could die to ourselves that is already dead in sin and come alive in Christ. He says, you have been born again. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. When you accept Jesus and you believe Jesus and you receive Jesus, you have a new heart. You have new blood, his blood, running through your veins. You have a new heart, and you start to see things the way God sees things. And you start to well up with different emotions that you've never felt before because God's emotions are being placed inside of you, and your heart is breaking for the things that it breaks his. And you begin to value the things that he values, and you begin to do crazy things driven by love that you would never do otherwise. It's because you've had a spiritual heart transplant. So we can't get to the application of love until we understand that in order to do what God commands, we have to be born of God. And in order to be born of God, we need a heart transplant. 
And that heart transplant does not cost what a medical heart transplant will cost. It is absolutely free. All you have to do is believe and receive. And he will give you a new heart. You cannot love the way that God loves without this new heart. And what we need to understand about God's heart when it's beating in our spiritual chest cavity is this. All people, can you say all people? All people matter to God. If you don't see that, listen to your heartbeat. All people matter to God. For God so loved you. For God so loved the religious correct and proper. No, God loved you. And by the way, you're messed up. <laughs> Have you seen your past? Have you seen your life? You ain't got it together. And guess what? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking in the mirror. God radically loves all people. And so if he radically loves people, follow me, I'm going I'm to start talking terminology of our series. Then you and I are his plan A. You are not his plan B. You are not worthless. You are not a failure. You are not broken and lost and way gone past his love and his mercy. You are his plan A and you always have been. Well, what happened? Because this world has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yeah, it has. But you see, there can't be love without free will. Are you following me? You can't have a love relationship, a mutual love relationship, if you don't have the choice to choose that love. And so God being all-knowing and all-powerful, he knew we were going to mess it up. He knew that we were going to choose our kingdom versus God's kingdom. That is a plug for next week, by the way. We're starting a new series called Upside Down Kingdom. He knew that we were going to choose to walk away from him. He knew that we were going to worship creation rather than the creator. God wasn't surprised by your failure. God isn't surprised and taken back from your horrible, sinful past. And God's not taken back by the dry desert land that you find yourself in today. And so that leads me to this next point. That may be very difficult for some of you to grasp. But Jesus Christ was a part of God's plan A all along. You have some religious scholars and leaders that said, well, Jesus was plan B. No, he wasn't. You know why I know that? It's because in Romans, it says that Jesus' divine birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial and substitutionary death, and his triumphant resurrection was a part of plan A all along before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ is no dummy. He knew what he was doing before the foundations of the world were built. And so Jesus Christ was a part of God's plan A, and that is very good news for us. 
And if we were God's plan A and Jesus, is Christ, Jesus Christ's arrival, his sinless life, sacrificial death, his resurrection was a part of plan A, now Jesus steps foot on earth and he flips everything upside down. And he goes against the current of every ethical, religious culture of ancient Israel. And why does he step on earth? Yes, he comes to bring salvation. That's big. But he also comes to show us a new way to live. Got that? He shows us a new way to live. And the new way to live is to love as God loves you. That is the new way that Jesus, everything Jesus does, affirms and aligns with God's heart, which is all people matter to God. Jesus came for, and Jesus died for, a new way to live and to love. He takes all the 600 plus commandments that Israel has, and he narrows them down to one commandment. I almost think it as an insult. It's kind of like I'm going to dumb it all down for you. And what does he say? He says, love God, love people. Done. Because I'm going to love you, and I'm going to lay my life down for you, and I'm going to save you. So all you need to do is love God and love people. Really? What does loving people mean? Well, when we love people with everything that we have, guess what? We love and worship God. And when we're loving and worshiping God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our strengths, all our souls, what are we doing? We're loving people. Well, I'm lifting my hands in worship. Yeah, but who are you loving? Because as you do to the least of these, you do to him. That's worship. Then raise your hands in worship. Then sing. Then make a joyful noise. But if you're not loving God, God's not in you. If you're not loving others, God's not in you. So what does loving God and loving people mean? It means we value what God values. We love who God loves. And we pursue who God pursues. And that's the theme for today. Love requires pursuit. Love requires pursuit. So follow me on this. We pursue other people as Jesus Christ pursued us. How are you doing with that? I don't say that sarcastically. I say that sincerely. How are you doing with that? Because in order to present that perfect love, We need to pursue others. Two weeks ago, we learned that love requires interruptions. How are you doing with allowing God and giving him the availability to interrupt your day with someone who needs the grace and love shown to them? How are you doing with that? Because as we read through the Gospels, in a chapter a day right now, Jesus stops all the time and is interrupted. And he loves every time. And then last week, we looked at love requires sacrifice. Let me ask you this. What is love costing you today? What is love costing you? I'm not talking about your spouse, 
although that can, that can include that. But I'm talking about the ones that are a little difficult to love. How are you doing with that? And the third that we're going to focus on today is love requires to pursue others with the same love that pursued you and me. And when you do this, you show others that the love of God lives inside of you. That's how you show people. Maybe you grew up in a church or a family that you showed others that you were followers of God by going to church every Sunday. Being an elder's kid or a pastor's kid. Or going through the motions and how much money you put in the offering plate showed where your heart was. That couldn't be further from the biblical truth. You've been lied to. You have been taught falsely. In order to love God, you have to love people. And in order to love people, you have to experience the love of God first. So what does this all really mean? We're going to focus, we just, we just focused on the why. Now let's look at the what. What does this look like for you and your family, in your neighborhood, in your schools, at your workplace, in your home, at the grocery store, or the gas station? What does it look like for you? And here's the first part. Are you ready for this? Anyone who considers themselves a follower of Christ. Well, what does that look like? Some of you may even be confused with that. Here it is in the most simplest form. You believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believe, and you receive. It's nothing that you've done, nothing that you earn. It's what he's given to you. It is D-O-N-E, done. All you have to do is receive it. Now, if you have believed it and received it, that makes you born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The presence of God lives inside of you. And you are called, get this, you are God's plan A to carry out the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? To go in all the world and reach the broken and the lost in all the dark places and bring hope that only Jesus can offer in a relationship with him. You with me? That's what we're called to. So let me put it a little differently. You and I, who believe and receive Jesus as Lord, are God's plan A to a dark and broken world. Have you ever looked at it that way before? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for Jesus to come down and change your neighbor? He does change the heart. But he's given you a job to do. He's given you a job to show them Jesus. How will they ever know Jesus if you don't show them? Well, I'll just pay a missionary in Africa. Well, your mission field's right in your backyard. We are God's plan A. To bring hope and love to a broken world. So let's bring it to your front door literally this afternoon. Let's say the city officials from your community, the leaders of your community all gather literally at your front door. 
and you're like, what did I do? Or what did my husband do? And you open the door, and they say, good afternoon. We just want to let you know that we've been meeting for several months, and we have finally concluded that you, you are our chief answer to the brokenness in our community. You are the solution. You. No one else. You are the solution to all the problems within our community. You have the hope for the addictions, the drug problem in our community. You have the hope for financial hardships and the bullying in our schools. You have the hope to cure hatred, homelessness. Do you realize in our community there is homelessness? Financial hardships, businesses sinking, and kids and teens directionless with their life. So this group of leaders, before leaving your doorstep, they leave you with the responsibility to bring hope and real life change to the community, to the next generation, to bring real transformation to the present, which will then directly transform the future. And they say, good day. Turn around and leave. Let me ask you something. What do you do? What will you do? Will you get to work? Will you start planning? Will you call people and gather a meeting? What will you do? But the reality is, you are God's plan A. He's at your front doorstep saying, there is a harvest of broken, messed up people that I love. And I just want to show them my heart through you. What are you going to do? You see, before I lose you, I understand that this whole loving God thing is something that can become white noise to us. Some of you have grown up in the church and you can recite all the passages about loving others and loving God. And I get that. But I'm, I'm here to really challenge myself and you with this very thought. Are you ready for it? It's this. Until you have an experience, an encounter with the living God. Until you know this love for yourself, you will never, ever be able to reciprocate it. And let me kindly say, the Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. Your unbelieving friends could care less if the Bible tells them so. They want to encounter it. They need to experience. They need to feel it. They need to see it. Because when Jesus came on the scene and the resurrected Christ was there and then he ascended, those people didn't have the Bible. Paul didn't go around planting churches and said, the Bible tells me so. 
Teaching them the Bible? No, he taught them the teachings in the way of Jesus. And by the way, he says, I've seen Jesus, and my life has been changed. This is the Jesus you need to know. And then he showed them the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's you and I. And until we understand that we cannot pour out this love that hasn't been poured out into us in the first place, the change isn't going to happen. You see, you can't express love that you've never experienced. You can't express a life-changing love that has never changed your life. Let me say that again. You can never express a life-changing love until that life-changing love has changed yours. And yet we just try to go through the motions and we say we're Christians and we stand up for what we believe in and we support the Christian political parties. And yet we're not loving as Christ loves. Church, we've missed it. Pastor Phil has missed it. And if Pastor Daniel and our staff and Jacob and Tiffany and Britt continue to miss it, please stop coming to this church. So, let's get on with pursuit. The first action point of pursuit, and I'm going to go quickly because I'm running out of time. The first action point of pursuit is this. You lay down your life for others. You lay down your life for others. Philippians, I love that book. It's a good name. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 3. It should be on the screen. Do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, what's that word? Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is all about laying your life down for the sake of others, even when they don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So he gave his life away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And in a series a few months ago, Alter Ego, if you remember that. The key themes were this. It was all about laying down your feelings of inadequacy. Laying down your need for control. Laying down your right to be offended. And laying down your longing for approval. That's what this is about. You lay down your rights. Your needs, your wants for the sake of others. That is the love of Jesus Christ, and that is the love that only Jesus Christ can give. And I love this quote about a practical way that Jesus humbled himself and became a servant, other than what you're going to read about in a minute. I love this quote, and it says this 
Jesus stripped down and washed the disciples' feet. He's in the upper room, the Lord's Supper, the night before he's crucified. Jesus stripped down and washed the dirt from the disciples' feet with his own hands. The next day, he was stripped again. And those same hands were nailed to a cross in order to wash the sin from his disciples' souls. How can you lay your life down for your neighbor? How might you lay your rights down, your opinions down, your church affiliation down, your political platform to love others as Christ loved you? Therefore, proving that God lives in you. Now, let me speak to your heart for a minute. I understand that many of you have been wounded and hurt. And I'm not saying to go into a very dangerous place just foolishly without God directing you. But many of you have so much fear about loving people that you really need to learn to lay down. You say, I can't love. I've been hurt. I've been a victim. You don't understand what they have done to me. You have to let go of the fear of being wrong. You have to let go of the fear of failure. You have to let go of the fear of rejection and being taken advantage of and being hurt again. How many times have you heard that? They've hurt me, they've hurt me, they've hurt me. And I get it because I have been deeply hurt. And it's hard to love someone who hurt you deeply. And society has this phrase, hurt people, hurt people. That is so true. And if you're holding fear as captive and you're not loving people because you yourself have been hurt, you're not loving people as God loves you. You're hurting people And those people that you're hurting matter to God. So instead of hurt people, can we change it to fully forgiven people, freely love people? Fully forgiven people love, freely love people. Fully forgiven people freely love people. That proves that God lives inside of you. Pursuit is all about laying down our lives for the sake of Jesus who laid down his life for us. Are you with me? Pursuit number two is all about viewing people through God's lenses. Remember when Jacob put on those glasses to prove that point that we need to be looking through God's lenses. And when we, get this guys, when we look through God's lenses and see people, we always will see value. Always. When you take those glasses off, you see condemnation, you see judgment, you see failure, you see opposition, you see accusations, but when you put those glasses back on, you see nothing but value. And guess what? When God sees you through his eyes, he sees his son Jesus. The value that it cost him to pursue you. There was a time when Jesus was ministering to a crowd 
And the religious leaders who hated Jesus were trying to trap him. And they bring this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She had done this many, many, many times. And they bring her to Jesus, and all the crowd starts forming, and all the religious leaders are coming out of the woodwork. This is the moment to trap this guy because he can't get around this because it's the law. And this woman standing, excuse me, um, literally laying down in the dirt because they threw her right in front of Jesus, she has three strikes, at least, at least three strikes against her. She's done for. There's no hope for this lady. Number one strike. In ancient Israel, women had little to no value at all. No voice, no vote. They were very fragile. They were trampled over. They didn't have value. And because they didn't have value in the culture, they were taken advantage of and often abused as this woman before Jesus. That's strike one. Strike two is she broke the law. When you break the law, someone's got to pay. That's how structure works. That's how the law works. And so the consequences of this specific sin was death by stoning. How fun is that? And so that's why the crowd and the religious leaders, literally everybody, even the disciples, had the stones in their hand, and they were pressing in towards this woman because they knew that she was guilty. And strike three, worse than strike one and strike two, she sinned against a holy God. For the wages of sin is, she had every right to die and be separated from God for eternity. But you know the second part of that passage? That second part of the passage was standing right next to her. But the gift of God is eternal life. She had no clue the gift of God that brought eternal life was right next to her. And so he protects her and he goes to her. And little does she know, but he has already said, if you've without sin, go ahead and cast a stone. So all the stones drop to the ground and everyone leaves. And Jesus says, where's your accusers? Can you just imagine? Her saying they're gone. She was closing her eyes and thought that that would be her last breath and they're gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. So not only did he run towards her and pursue her, he loved her and he forgave her. He didn't see the sin that stained her life. He didn't see that she had broken the law. He saw value. That she had enough value to be forgiven. And you know what? When Jesus was there, I can even see that he was loving her with the same love that drew him to the cross to die. Hmm. Value. So what does Jesus do? We see it. And so when we lay ourselves down for the sake of others, and we see people through the lenses of God, we start to value people. And when we value people, we start to be able to lay down your life for others. It's a life change. And the third pursuit is all about running towards and fighting for people. 
What does our culture teach us? I wouldn't even say our cult, culture, maybe our, 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 our worldly system teaches us when we face controversy or conflict or people who oppose us, what do we do? We fight or we flight. Fight or flight, it's a default mechanism that's placed in every single human being. And Jesus flipped the tables. And instead of fighting with, he began fighting for people. And instead of running away, he ran towards people. Give you a brief story, it's so important. Jesus was on his way to Galilee. And so then he went to this land called Samaria. He didn't need to go there. It was shorter to get to Galilee. But here's what the Jews did. They planned within their traveling two days on foot just to walk around Samaria. It was that evil and that much of a black plague. And I'm going to tell you in a moment what Samaria was and who's in there. But to, to really get the mindset of what's happening here and the significance of what Jesus is doing, just in your mind for a minute... I want you to think of a place that would be incredibly awkward for you to go into. I want you to think of a place that would be absolutely uncomfortable, even controversial for you to go in there. A place where everyone is staring at you and the stare is not, we're glad you're here. Welcome. It's what in the world are you doing here? And why are you associating with us? Get out of here. That's Samaria. A place where you have probably been caught a time or two saying, I will never, ever go there. Those people are whacked. Those people are crazy. I will will have nothing to do with them. And we're going to protect and shelter our kids to ever be associated with those people. That's Samaria. Samaria, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. A Jewish man was not supposed to relate at all to a woman without her husband present. And especially Jesus, a rabbi, was not supposed to be associating with such trash as this woman. And so what does Jesus do? Because he's looking through the eyes of God and he's willing to lay down his life for others, he pursues this woman. And he actually sits with her and the disciples come and say, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? They're starting to kind of doubt his character. Does he really understand what he's doing? And he fights for that woman to his disciples. And he runs toward that woman. Why? Because people matter to God. You see, when others focus on religious duty, beliefs, political views, it leads to fight or flight. But Jesus focuses on grace and love. Jesus doesn't see political and cultural restraints as barriers like we do. He sees them as opportunities. What opportunities might be in your Samaria? And will you view those people as God views them, and will you lay down your life and your interest and your needs and your wants for the sake 
of loving others. You see, Jesus, he didn't condemn this woman of her sin at that point. He offered her living water. He offered her the grace and the truth that only God gives. And he knew that that love that he displayed is the love that brings real life change. So again, I ask you, what's your Samaria? Who's in your Samaria that absolutely doesn't deserve the love that God gives, but he wants you to pursue them and fight for them? So lastly, pursuit involves pursuing others while surrendering the results to the one who ultimately pursues. We leave the results to the one ultimately doing the pursuing. The band can come up at this point. You can never change someone's heart. That's not your job, and that's not what, called, what Jesus called you to do. Jesus changes the heart. But he has called you to be his hands and feet, to show people Jesus and let him do the rest. Who are you trying to fix? Who are you trying to force to church? Who are you just so frustrated with and just wish that you could sh- shake them by the throat? Take the Bible and just whack them over the head and all of a sudden there's life change. It doesn't happen that way. You do it by loving people as Christ loves you. And you leave the results up to God. But they're not listening. Love. Do you know what they did to me? Show them Jesus. And so in a moment, we're going to respond with a song that fits perfectly. And responding means we're going to respond to the message and we're going to say, no more are we just going to half-heart it. No more are we just going to go through the motions. But we want to show others that God lives in us, and we do that by loving others. We do it by laying down our lives for others. We do it by viewing people through God's eyes. We do it by running towards and fighting for, and we pursue others, leaving the results up to God. So I want to give you a quick love challenge as a church and as individuals. Would you do me a favor and stand? I want you to reflect and to receive God's amazing love daily. You can't pour out something that hasn't been poured into you. I want you to reflect and receive God's love daily. Students, as you go into your schools, you need to first reflect and receive that precious love that Jesus first gave you. As you go into work, you're already defenses up. You're ready to go. Receive as you reflect on God's amazing love for you. And then reciprocate. Receive, reflect, 
and reciprocate God's amazing love. How is the community around you going to know God's amazing love is for them? Are you going to be the plan A? I am absolutely tired of churches not getting giving people the permission to go serve. People are waiting on the church as a whole to plan an outreach event. That's not what we're doing here. You're his plan A, not this building, not Elevation Community Church. You are God's plan A to go love your town. To go love your town. To love the next generation and to love your neighbors. We're going to do this as a church, but we're going to give you permission to do it this summer. We want to love our town. We want to be present in our town. On 4th of July, we're going to serve our town. Go into our town and start loving people. Summer camp's coming up. We want to bless kids, but don't wait for summer camp to go and make an impact on the next generation. And lastly, who's in your neighborhood that you can just show the love of Jesus to? And just watch Jesus bring life change. Would you pray with me? God, right now, I'm just asking you to take away any words that I've said that are just not of you. I pray that you would just pierce hearts this morning to rise up and be the church, the plan A that you have came for and that you died for. Now's the time. Now's the time for us to rise. Now's the time. We have this love that the world is desperate for. Will we go into the streets? And our answer is yes, God. We will follow you. We will love sacrificially. In Jesus' name. We are the change. The world is waiting.